Welcome to Growing Up 80s, a podcast where two friends talk about things we loved as kids growing up in the 80s and that we still enjoy today. This time, we're talking about starting a band in the 1980s. Robin, are you ready to rock in the free world? We are totally going to be rocking in the free world. I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Keep on rocking in the free world. Unfortunately, when we started our bands, we weren't really rocking out at the very beginning, but we'll yeah. get to those stories. Yeah. So an apology in advance to anybody. Th- this episode is going to be more self-indulgent than usual in the sense that we're really going to be drawing just on our own dumb stories. Yep. There is a universal subject here, though, or at least somewhat, that yeah. I think a lot of people... Uh, wanted to start their own band when they were maybe in high school or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. had music ambitions in their life. Of course, not everybody did, but we can't really talk generally about the, we're going to be talking about yeah. us in That's this right. Case. We're going to talk about our experiences growing up in the 80s, doing music and eventually, you know, getting bit by that bug to start a band and and starting a band and then... We'll see where that goes. <laughs> Nowhere. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> None. Yes. So, is it okay if we bleed a little bit into the late 70s and maybe a little bit into the early 90s? I think people will forgive those 80s adjacent years. Okay. We have gracious, forgiving listeners. Yes. So that's good. <laughs> because I imagine... Uh, you were like me in that your musical beginnings probably started before you were, well, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I was probably in the very late 70s when I first started doing music-y kind of things. And that's kind of what eventually would have would have led to us forming our band. Yeah. Bands. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's right. Like, I, I'm trying to think if my first experience playing music was... Actually, yeah, there's quite a few school stories to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've tried to decide. For sure, ukulele in grade three yeah. was with Mr. Harris. Uh, now, that was pretty cool for you because I didn't have a teacher that taught us a real instrument um, yeah. until we were like in grade seven or eight. So I think you got ukulele. Did you get the recorder as well? No, no, we oh, never okay. had to put up with recorders. So, so definitely this grade three ukulele. Uh, shout out to Mr. Harris, who's still around. He's one of my dad's buddies. Yeah. Just today, they went out for quesadillas at our fairly authentic new Mexican restaurant here down in, in Thunder Bay. Yeah, down in Westport. Oh, right on. I want to go to that place. Yeah, I do. I do too. So anyway, right. This was something optional that he did was, you know, had everybody in the class buy ukuleles and mm-hmm. Compared to playing the recorder, yeah, ukuleles are great, right? Like, sure, like, oh yeah, you've got you can make chords, you can strum, you can sing along. Ukuleles are a great instrument. My dog has fleas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that was my first positive, uh, <laughs> first positive music thing. Yeah, yeah, and. So did you have to play recorder? I didn't have to play recorder. I didn't get to play ukulele. I had to wait until grade 
I think maybe even grade eight until I got to play an instrument in school. Of course, I took piano lessons um, for a few years before that. And actually, the first time I took piano lessons was at our school. But I think that it was just a, a piano teacher who came in and used the school classroom and the pianos that were there to teach uh, oh. just a small little group of us. And that only lasted maybe for a few months. And then I got a real piano teacher um, outside of the school. <laughs> a, real, a real one, eh? <laughs> yeah, well, it, as opposed to group piano lessons, yeah. I started taking private piano lessons. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, just to clarify, Darren and I did go to school together, but our school was big enough that there were at least two classes, I think, mm -hmm. for every yep. grade, like two yep. split. Uh, anyway, so several years, I guess, we ended up not together in the oh, same yeah. schoolroom, eh? Yeah, that's right. Maybe that's why we're friends. Probably. <laughs> I think I think for the most part, we weren't in the same classroom. Yeah, I think you're yeah, right. I think that I think that we were in JK together. I know that I was in grade two with Ron, and that was his first year at the school. And I think you might have been with us, but I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't really remember. I, I wasn't in your class most of the time. Most of the years, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I also had private piano lessons, and mm -hmm. I did not like them. Now I, I know I had to walk to the piano teacher's place, which just felt like total drudgery. I can't believe I'm trudging here through the yeah. cold and through the snow. Uh, many... To put up with this torture of piano lessons. Yeah. And it just, it, it wasn't fun. There didn't seem to be any, there wasn't any joy in it. It was. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say that I dreaded piano lessons, but. It wasn't something that I was like when I hit grade eight or whatever it was and I didn't have to take piano lessons anymore. It's like, okay, good. I'm not going to take piano lessons anymore. You know, every once in a while I got to pick a song um, that, that I wanted to play. Like I got to learn, I think I learned the theme from the Dallas TV show one year and <laughs> I, I learned the Ghostbusters theme song one year. Well, that would have been cool. Yeah, but, but generally, you know, you're just learning what's out of the piano books and stuff like that. And psh, sonatas, who wants to play sonatas? Not not me. Yeah. But I did. Yeah, I don't think I got to do anything fun like that. It was just the Royal Conservatory of Canada yeah. or whatever. That's right. Uh, grade one, grade two, grade three. Yeah. And it was all this serious classical yeah. kind of music. If if I got to learn Ghostbusters, I mean, maybe I would have been be into okay. it, eh? <laughs> my first piano books were the Layla Fletcher's piano course. Oh, and then, yes. Yeah, I did grade one and two of the Royal Conservatory yeah. as well. And you know what? I should say that those Layla Fletcher books, I liked some of those songs that yeah. they they were a bit more, oh, they were about like donkeys and voyage, oh, yeah. voyage yeah. over the sea. CBA is on the way. Tiger Hunt is on today. <laughs> well, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, so I, I did like those more. And then yeah. I think once I got into the grade one, two, three, it was mostly, uh, oh, except maybe popcorn. Popcorn oh, was cool. I want to play do, that do, now. Do, 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 it's got those do, like do, accidentals. Do, 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 do. It's like, it's got seconds in it. Oh. You know what I mean? Like you play like F sharp and G together. Oh, those just sound awful. Boink, boink. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I want to kind of keep things 
chronological. So before we get any further along the way, I want to talk about uh, grade eight music. But before we hit that, yeah, I want to talk about songwriting as a little kid because just before we started recording you mentioned that you had like maybe a little songwriting story when you were a kid and I have a songwriting story that I remember as well from you know this elementary school era yeah yeah you go go ahead with yours we'll take okay. turns here well I remember now this would have been either very late 70s probably very early 80s though I associate the memory of writing this song with my Garfield um, books, my Garfield collection of books. Ooh. I don't know why it doesn't have anything to do with Garfield, <laughs> yeah. but I think it's like right at that kind of time in my life. And so they just kind of mash together in my brain. But the first song, and I have a really good memory of writing a song, the first song that I ever wrote, which you know, and trying to write a serious song was about old lady drivers. <laughs> and I think the song was called, actually, I'm not sure what the, what the title of the song was, but I remember a bunch of the lyrics. Driving like you're in Le Mans, tearing up the neighbor's lawns. All the relatives are talking. Granny, please go back to walking. <laughs> granny, granny, granny. Why are you driving? Granny, granny, granny. You should be knitting. Granny, <laughs> granny, granny. Stroking your kitten. Not driving all over town. You should be sitting around. Isn't it crazy that I have that still okay. in my head so, yes. from like maybe grade three or grade four or something so, like that. Yeah. It is, that is crazy that you have that memorized. Yeah. It's also awesome how you wrote like this totally sexist, ageist. <laughs> like hey, it's, it's, just it the, could have been grandpa, grandpa, grandpa. It just happened to be granny, granny, granny. Yeah, Well, it was still ageist then. It was definitely ageist. Yes. <laughs> it, it had to be a serious song. So it was about elderly drivers. Yes. So, do you remember if you had motivation for this writing this? I don't remember the motivation. I do remember getting in a car accident with my grandma <laughs> probably around this time. <laughs> I don't know if that may have been the the inspiration. So this was actually it, written written towards your grandma time to Well, I time I don't to hang know that it was. The, <laughs> time to hang up the keys, hang grandma. Up the keys. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, and my grandma didn't knit either. She was a crocheter, and she didn't have a cat. So, you know, it probably wasn't about my grandma. Well, yeah. You, it was just about generic bad I I think you tried people. to make it more generic <laughs> after, just because you were feeling kind of bad about... Maybe, maybe I was. Yeah. So, yeah, at, you know, from a young age, I remember writing songs and... Yeah, I, I I know that one. I, it was trying to be somewhat serious, but I think, you know, I think that there was also supposed to be some levity in the song as well. And, you know, those were the kind of songs. I was like a Weird Al guy when I was a little kid and, and I, I could relate to and I could feel comfortable writing that kind of stuff a little bit better than the, the real serious rock and roll, lovey-dovey, angry, I don't know what it would be kind of music that I thought that I would be expected to write. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that really foreshadows the stuff you did in our terrible first sure. band, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. 
and some of my solo stuff afterwards. And some of, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So speaking of grandmas. Yeah. My grandma was, I think I mentioned this once before, but was a weird tape nerd. Like as yeah. in she, she had herself a cassette recorder back in the, even the early seventies, maybe mm -hmm. even before I was born, but for sure when I was just a little kid, tape recorder, blank tapes, and she would record all kinds of things like family dinners and not tell anybody she was recording <laughs> them. So I have this bizarre conversation of my grandma and grandpa, my mom and my dad. I'm apparently wandering around in the background at like age two or something. Mm -hmm. And my uncle, my wayward uncle is there trying to explain to the family how he's getting his life together and his, you know, his, his new plans Yeah. for, I ended up with the, when my grandma died, I ended up with all her tapes. So that's one of the discoveries I made. I didn't know that at the time, but I did know she had the tape recorder and I've, we've also got one tape, at least one tape full of, uh, me and my sister, probably 1982, mm -hmm. just playing around with her recorder. Like it's, it's like we've got a radio show or something. It's the yeah. two, it's the two of us talking back and forth in that we sing this dumb song about Pac-Man. Oh yeah. Which I wasn't sure the origin of it. I went, when I first heard this some years ago, I was like, uh, digitizing these old tapes. I heard this Pac-Man song. I'm like, did I write that? Or was yeah. that was that a commercial or something? And I Googled and I could not find anything. Just today I made a discovery about that. But anyway, let's, how about we just listen to okay, yeah. nine-year-old me and my seven-year-old sister. And my, my voice is the ever so slightly more masculine <laughs> of the two. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Okay, here. How come it's, it's still recording, eh? Hey, but you weren't recording. That's erased. <laughs> You're Thank so you. Canadian, eh? That was her. People have Qbert. Yeah, Miss Pac-Man. Even Miss Pac-Man heads for the corner <laughs> spot. It meets her thrill <laughs> of a power pill. Oh, oh, ghosters, blue, blue, and Miss Pac-Man needs them all too. Okay, so that is a kind of a corruption, a rewriting of a song. Yeah. That was about Pac-Man. We were changing into Ms. Pac-Man for whatever reason. Anyway, that same song appears three or four times in different guises on this tape. Like we keep okay. repeating it, but playing with the words and so on. But there's definitely something to it. Anyway, I Googled again for the words and finally something turned up and it is a Atari 2600 pac-man commercial you know the the lyrics had never appeared in google until just i guess the last couple of years because i know yeah. it wasn't there even very recently so anyway i'm going to play the the actual source material now right on first the pac-man eats through a maze of dots then the pac-man heads for the corner spot then he eats his fill of a power pill and then all those ghosts turn blue and Pac-Man 
beat them all too. Have you played Pac-Man? It's the new video computer game everyone's talking about. And naturally, it's from Atari. Naturally. Have you played Atari today? <laughs> wow. So originally, so when I found that t tonight, I was, you know, preparing for this episode yeah. and I was going to tell you about maybe the first song I ever wrote and it was, you know, a Pac-Man nerd song, but it turns out, no, I was just parroting, uh, a, a TV commercial. Sure. So, uh. That's pretty cool though. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's an early example of music. I, I know that, uh some of our renditions of it were more musical than others. Uh, <laughs> th that one in particular was me attempting to correct my sister as, as she's saying what I thought were the wrong words to the song or something. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. That's funny. Cool. So yeah, that's a, a neat old time capsule. Oh, and, and I also just want to say that I think that idea of, of my grandma always having that tape recorder around mm -hmm. certainly influenced me to want to record things yeah. and throughout. And then you were into that too. Yeah. So, uh, there were people on board, like whenever I could, as soon as I got my own tape recorder and, and, you know, my friends like you, we would record stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, I had yeah. that. I want to record music. I want to record anything. Uh, anything. Yeah. 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 yeah and, totally. and it's so cool to be able to listen back to those tapes my grandma made from the seventies it's so weird to be sitting there at a family dinner with them. I know this isn't about music, but it's about, you know, recording technology. Mm -hmm. So odd to be able to sit there and listen to a family meal from the seventies. Yeah. Uh, that's my, my parents, my grandparents, my uncle and so on. Yeah. That's yeah. great stuff. Yeah. All right. So continuing on through <laughs> elementary school. Now, do you remember grade seven music? as opposed to grade eight music, because grade eight music was the year that we learned instruments, like real instruments for the first time, oh. I think. Oh, but grade seven wasn't real instruments. I thought both of them were, no? Did we have instruments in both grade seven and eight? I thought grade seven was kind of preparing you to get an instrument, <laughs> and then grade eight, you got the instrument. Okay. Like they were kind of teaching you more theory and stuff in grade seven so that you could once you got the instrument, you know, maybe do a little bit of sight, not really sight reading, but you could take the music home and read it and learn what you're supposed to play on your instrument. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, see, that might've been when I was in Toronto anyway. So right. maybe I missed out on a year of preparation to play an instrument. Yeah, I know. Eh? What, what, so what would you do? It was just literally music theory, like I think so. So no, you didn't have an instrument. You couldn't actually play any music. I think the thing was in grade eight, you get an instrument, but grade seven, <laughs> we're just going to learn about music theory. We're going to learn about the instruments, but you don't get to play one. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But you were back in grade eight, right? Yeah. See, that's right. And I had a particularly horrific experience in grade eight music and okay. I wonder if it was partly because I missed out on all this prep that all you, <laughs> well, all the maybe. rest of you had. Maybe, maybe. the pre maybe the preparation actually was somewhat worthwhile. So, what instrument did you play in grade eight? <laughs> I don't know how, but I ended up with the trombone. Okay, great. Do you remember me having the trombone? I remember Ron. I thought I, I thought Ron had the trombone. Well, I thought Ron was the trumpet. 
Ron was the trumpet. Yeah, and I was yes. the trombone. I was the trombone too. Really? Yes. Were, were we playing trombones side by side in grade eight? Maybe. Do you think that they would have put the grade eights like the, because there was a, a full grade eight class yeah. and a split class. There was, and I was in the split seven, eight class when I was in grade eight. Mm. And I think that there was only about maybe eight of us grade eights. And so maybe they would have put us in the other class as well for music. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, I have like a total different kind of reaction when I think about grade eight music. It's like, what is the absolute coolest instrument that you could be playing in grade eight band? The trombone. So, What's cooler than a trombone? So you, it's, you, you stand up in the back. You've got, you don't, it's, you're not like a like a saxophone that has this thing going down a point you're you're pointing the bell of your trombone at the back of everybody's heads and you've it got slides. this big brass slide thing that's just sticking out six feet eight feet in front of you swinging around. well you know when you're going for the low f yeah it's a yeah. it's like it's like a sheet of plywood. Same feet. <laughs> That's right. Bob. It barely fits under your bed. <laughs> How do you fit that trombone <laughs> under your bed? <laughs> oh, and and the glissandos. It's like you're not just playing individual Ooh. notes. You're yeah. playing like the Muppet Show theme, and you're playing the Papa Piccolino's <laughs> pizza theme. All these great <laughs> the A and W theme song. You're playing all these great things on the trombone, the coolest instrument in grade eight band. <laughs> okay, so so that this is interesting. Okay, trombone. We'll talk more but you've always been much more pitch aware than, than myself. Okay. And, and yep. I think them, I think you have above average pitch awareness. And is so, that a compliment, a musical it, compliment? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> what, what do you, th what do you think of my, my tempo and timing? Wow. Those are. The, you compensate for it with your pitch <laughs> awareness. <laughs> That's why you're such a good drummer. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, you're, you're. I think you're a naturally musical person, an above, you know, a better than average musically aware person. And that includes pitch mm -hmm. awareness, cool. and I'm particularly bad at pitch awareness. And so my singing. Oh yeah. I think we'll get to that more after. Sure. But even now, with my bass playing, I am still not nearly as pitch aware as I would hmm. like to be. Yeah. But um, anyway, that, that's not really what, so, so what I'm getting at is yeah. that I think your natural ability to find the note you're looking for is <laughs> It's got to be match. somewhere along yeah. here. It's, it's a really good match for the trombone for you. Sure. I guess so. Eh? Okay. Yeah. So, so you don't have okay, any. Okay. I have a, yeah. I have a question though for you when it comes to like pitch awareness and maybe going back to piano and stuff like that or, or other instruments. Are you more of a, a music reader or a play it by ear kind of person? Like, would you like sit down and think, oh, I want to play, you know, the A&W root beer theme song and just work it out on the piano? Like, are you, is that something that as a kid that you had any no, ability to I do? Was, I was terrible at doing that, but I'm also terrible at reading sheet music. Yeah. 
so I'm just bad either, either way. The one thing I'm kind of good at is getting a chord chart, like a cheat yeah. sheet that we use a fake book. Yeah, a, chart. Yeah. a chart. A chart. Yeah. A chord yeah. chart. That's the one thing. And, and then with my, on my bass playing, this, we're talking them more recently here. Yeah. That's what I need to know as a bassist is what is the root that I should be playing Mm-hmm. And then I have mathematical, to me, patterns, geometric yeah. patterns yeah. in my mind and in my fingers uh, and kind of in my ear that allow me to play good. To fill in the space. To fill between. in the space. Yeah. 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 Right on. So my approach to bass, so the bass suits me really well, not needing to uh, to have good pitch awareness. Uh, like I've found my, my place in music. Yeah. Uh, that despite not having a lot, I think not having a lot of natural talent, uh, but always having kind of that desire to play. Yeah. So, okay. So I got, I think Back I got the trombone. I think I got to talk about my trombone. <laughs> Cause <laughs> so you don't have any memory eh, of me. Playing? I don't remember playing with you. I thought that I was playing with Ron, but maybe I was, I guess I was playing with Ron you. Ron remembers me playing and laughs and laughs. Okay. So we're talking. <laughs> Our buddy, so our buddy Ron is, uh, well, he, he listens to the show. We've never had him on this show, have we? We had him no, on. No, he's been on the Midnight Oil show. Yeah, Uncomfortable Place on the Couch. He was the one who took lots of piano lessons and mm-hmm. got quite good at it and yes. became like the organist at his church and uh, would get paid for playing like weddings and stuff, yeah. or funerals or whatever. Yep. Um, but when we were in grade eight, he was already quite advanced at piano and then he was playing trumpet mm-hmm. but he just he laughs at the the trombone story okay so you don't remember this eh well, tell me and i'll tell you if okay. i remember it okay so the the big like i was terrible right and i, I guess because i missed this year of prep and i was just naturally <laughs> bad and the big goal at the end of the year was for each of us to play a piece of music yeah that you know we learned but soloing, but we had to play it in front of the whole class. Yeah. One by one. Okay, so do you remember what your piece was? I'm pretty sure I did the AW Root Beer song. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was probably really good too. You... I think it worked well for the Yeah. For that. Okay. And so... I probably threw a little bit of Papa Piccolino's pizza in at the end <laughs> or something like that. Okay. So my piece of music was the main Star Wars theme. Okay, which sounds pretty cool. Which would sound cool, right? So you don't remember this. So I I performed it. Yeah. (laughs) And then Ron goes, (laughs) Ron goes, what song was that? (laughs) What was that? He didn't know. Oh. Even after I played it. And... (laughs) <laughs> I said Star Wars, and 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 he burst out laughing, and he just couldn't <laughs> believe it. And so it still makes him laugh today. Cause... So what was that you're just playing there, Rob? <laughs> oh, Star Wars? Huh, couldn't tell. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So could you imagine in nineteen? What would that have been? You know, eighty forty five classroom full of kids couldn't pick out the star wars theme when <laughs> somebody was playing it on their trombone 
I was the only one playing. You know, everybody was yeah. listening to me too. Yeah. So yeah, Aww. that's how bad. That's how bad I was at trombone. And then when I went to high school in grade nine, I got stuck yep. with trumpet. Oh, you did. Yeah, that's right. I got moved to trumpet for whatever reason. Your uh, Star Wars uh, <laughs> trombone preceded you, Mister Wattrell said. Yeah, I'm not having that boy playing trombone in my band. No, no. So are, are we moving on to high school now? Sure, um, let's move on to high school. Oh yeah, and Mister Wattrell, this is our yep. our music teacher. I was only there for half a grade nine, and then yeah. I went away to Australia for a year. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Mister Wattrell finds out my name is Robin Harbrin, mm-hmm. and he goes, "Are you Mister Harbrin's son?" <laughs> And I was like, that's the way it usually works. Because <laughs> back in the 80s, that's the way it did usually it work. It always worked that way. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, he knew my dad. It was just hilarious that he asked if... You were Mr. Harbron's son. If Junior Harbron was Mr. Harbron's son. Yeah. So the way that music worked, at least in grade nine for us, was you took your two classes in the morning, you took your two classes in the afternoon you would get four credits throughout the year. Actually, no, you'd get eight credits throughout the year because you'd switch halfway through. But you could get a bonus credit by taking music all the way through the year on half of your lunch hour. And so that's what you and I did. Well, at least you got like the half credit for doing that. I yeah. And then you went to Australia for the other half of the year. But I did it the full year. And I, again, was trombone in the grade nine band at Westgate. And... It wasn't a fantastic experience for me doing band in grade nine. Like I liked it enough, but I didn't like carrying the trombone <laughs> back and forth from school all the time. And things were always, they always just seemed to be a bit of a mess in the music room. And I'm not sure that at one point somebody swapped their trombone for my trombone. Aww. And maybe I've, you know, just ended up going home with somebody else's more junky trombone and didn't realize it one day or something like that and was never able to switch it back. Yeah. But whatever. That's it, that's what it was. And, you know, I got my credit and I made it through. And I didn't take music in high school after that. Yeah. You know, not because it was such a bad experience or something. It just was, yeah, it's just, that's just what it was. But we had other friends who took music all the way through high school. And there's lots of fun stuff that you can do with music in high school. And, you know, I'm glad that I took piano. I'm glad that I learned the the theory that I learned in piano. I'm glad I had, you know, a couple of years playing the trombone, you know, for that experience as well. But the kids who stuck with music in high school and were involved like with the stage band yeah. and the jazz band, you know, they got a bad rap in high school. You know, sometimes kids would make fun of them for being band nerds and stuff like that. But a particular group of our friends stuck with it enough and learned enough of it that they were able to translate, you know, the jazz band skills and the brass band skills into legitimate rock band skills (laughs) yes and so we had some friends who put together a genuine rock band that would play at like they would play legitimate gigs and this was something that was pretty cool and they did some recording and it wasn't half bad yeah it was motivational should shout out to dextra is that is that who we're talking about that's who we're talking about yeah you're right that everybody in that band was also in stage band or whatever, yeah. weren't they? Yeah. Now, I remember 
was it one of the earlier concerts that they played or was it just one of the first concerts that I had heard them play? They played in your backyard <laughs> yes. for, for some reason. Yeah. And, you and remember, I don't remember why. Well, it was, was it, it was, uh, we actually had a BBS here, finally some more nerd content. Yeah. Some geek. Oh, well we did talk about Pac-Man, but anyway, yeah. our BBS yeah. We had like a, a get together. Do we, we had a BBS meetup in your backyard. Yeah. Like a barbecue in my backyard. Yeah. And people from the BBS scene showed up and Dexter played. Yeah. Live. Okay. I had no idea. That's why we were all getting together yeah, for it. Yeah. It might've even been a trash can BBS. Well, that, that's, that seems to make sense, you know? Yeah. So yeah, da- Darren, like, Darren was the sysop of the trash can bbs that's right running on his amiga 500 that's right yeah uh yeah we should talk about bbs's and modems and stuff sometime but yeah and so we had like like how many people do you remember showed up for this thing i don't know 20 30 wow that's pretty good something like that yeah that's great like it wasn't just me and you listening to the band no no like i remember there was like a, a crowd of people there but i don't remember what it was for yeah. Right on. Yeah, that was kind of weird, eh? We got a live band playing for the BBS barbecue. Yeah. A BBS BBQ. A BBS BBQ. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it was very inspirational to see a group of kids our age putting together a real rock and roll band and they were playing cover songs and they were writing their own songs and there was like, well, it was guitar and drums and it was loud and there was meatly, meatly solo Meadlies. type things going on. Yeah. And, oh, I felt like we we need to clarify for our American listeners, grade mm-hmm. nine is the start of high school. Right. And don't those Americans, they got a weird name for every grade. Like instead of saying grade nine, they say like something oh, weird, yeah. like yeah. Sophomore, sophomore and. No, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. That's it. Yes. Where we have grade nine, grade 10 grade 11, grade 12, and in our case, OAC. Yeah. Grade 13, then got called OAC, Ontario yeah. Academic Credits. So yeah, and we actually had- actually f- got phased out. Yeah. So we went from a five-year high school system to a four-year yeah. eventually. Why, why is junior the second mm-hmm. last year? It was going to be junior, something, something, senior. Yeah. There should be something between junior and senior. Yeah. What does sophomore mean? Yeah. I don't know. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> I, I know. Just to bring that up. Okay. So yeah, I think that that definitely had an impact on us seeing them play. And then also, yeah, that they were recording mm-hmm. and then we get these tapes and, you know, it would be okay quality record like yep. on a four track in their basement or whatever, mm-hmm. but was actually multi-tracked to yeah. some degree. And Yeah. And, and that was also, that circled around recording is really interesting to me because it's a, it's a neat place where technology and art meet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I've always liked working on that kind of thing. And we should talk about our friend R- Richard Pepper, yeah, who was also very early in the home recording scene. Mm-hmm. And we knew Richard from the Bible camp, the summer camp where he worked, uh, but he would record 
he wrote bizarre songs. It was, yeah. it was its own form of nerd rock. Uh, yeah. we didn't realize it at the time, I think. Yeah. He actually paid somebody to go in their low grade studio, but specifically to try and learn about how the process. And then he okay. started buying his own gear, yeah. uh, even though it was just like a four track and microphones, yeah. all that, but he learned enough. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then started recording just a, in his own apartment. Those were very inspirational to me as well. And thanks, oh, definitely. Yeah. Suddenly he was selling these tapes for whatever, five bucks or whatever. Yeah. And it was weird, yeah. but I liked it. It was weird. It was funny. And yeah. some of it was thoughtful. And there was weird keyboard stuff going on and backwards <laughs> things and guitar and effects on vocals. It was, it was some neat stuff. And yeah, every summer you'd go out to camp and there'd be a new Richard Pepper tape to get. It'd yeah. Be great. So that was a big influence as well. That, yeah. yeah that, that here's... DIY home recording stuff can yeah. be done. And then actually his first album was even called If the Infinite Trio Can Do It, Why Can't I... Yeah. And so the Infinite Trio was another lousy Thunder Bay. I shouldn't say lousy. <laughs> uh, was another local band who who were friends with Richard and they had already put out their own album. So yeah. even his first album was very much a response to another underground yeah. do-it-yourself. I can't say this definitively, but I'd like to think that... I'd like to think... <laughs> <laughs> that was the beginning, I think, of the home recording revolution. Mm -hmm. Sometime there in the 80s, multi-track, yep. direct to compact cassette, multi-track recording suddenly was something you could do at home. You know, yeah. at, at a, not a great quality, but it was possible. Also not a great price either, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a, a low price where if you had whatever, the four or five hundred bucks, I'm just guessing... Yep. You could buy your own multi-track recorder. You buy some microphones, and you and can away you go. Yeah, and you can make something not like a real professional studio, but good enough. For yeah, a, lot a of whole people. lot better than a microphone in a room. Yeah, and just trying to make it happen. Yeah, you're talking about the whole do-it-yourself recording at home thing, and I think that this kind of falls in around the same timeline as us starting our first band. Uh, you mentioned the Amiga 500 that I was running my BBS on. We were also trying to do some tracking and sampling, and I was putting together songs on my Amiga as well. And at one point, um, I'd made this, this kind of funny little demo that was a, a bunch of samples from this radio comedy show that was playing here in town and i yeah. put it to these rhythms and beats and stuff like that and i made this kind of the, the show was called the unfriendly giant and i made this <laughs> unfriendly giant mashup well not a mashup just a spliced together rap kind of thing out of it yeah kind of like a hip-hop beat kind of thing yeah, right yeah that's right dumped it down to cassette from my amiga 500 i had like the little sampler thing so i was able to get all the samples like from the radio show and we took it to the radio station yeah one evening and and we knocked on the door with our with the tape and it's like hey we want to give this to you because <laughs> i'm so proud of what i made and yes it, it's like this from the radio show the the funny radio show that you guys do give it a listen maybe you want to play it yeah yeah no that that was a great memory i remember you working on that 
And I don't know if I had any influence there on thinking, you know what, we got to record this. This is cool. Yeah. And, and, uh, but yeah, I thought what you were doing was so cool. It's funny that we wouldn't think of computer music as legitimate just on its own mm-hmm. because you didn't have the internet, you didn't have MP3s back then. You didn't have the internet yeah. to upload it. So the way of legitimizing, especially back then, was mm-hmm. to, you know, you make a song in the computer, but you would have to record it to cassette, bring it to the radio station, hope they play it, and yep. then you've made it, right? Like That's that was right. that yep, was totally. like the ultimate pinnacle. Uh or the that was like yeah, that was yeah. really cool. It turned out now they wouldn't play it, but you did get a phone call, didn't you? Well, yeah, they told us that they liked it and that yeah. they would like to play it, but the quality of the recording yeah. coming out of the computer just wasn't high enough. So, yeah. you yeah. know, I didn't know what was going on at the time and we were no. just playing it into my crappy little boom box and trying yeah, we to do didn't, what, I, with what I had. We didn't, that's right. We didn't understand enough about audio uh, engineering or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it to know what we were doing wrong. But basically it was nice to get that positive feedback yeah. from the radio station that, hey, this is really cool. It's just... The, the quality is so garbage that we can't yeah. play it on the radio. The, the audio quality. Yeah, the yes, audio the quality. quality. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but we went in a different direction too. Yeah. We were inspired by our friends doing music, having bands, recording things. And we said, who cares that you can't play Star Wars on the trombone, Robin? <laughs> we're going to have a real band too. And yeah. so me and you and Ron formed a band towards the end of high school. Yes. And we were talking about this the other day. You were over for a nice campfire in the backyard and we were trying to piece together how things came about, you know, what order the instruments came in, how we decided who was going to play what. Yeah. And we were talking with our friend Ron the other day too. And I don't think it really cleared too much of anything up really. (laughs) But at some point along the way, you know, we have already established that Ron he took piano up to grade seven or eight or maybe even beyond at this point. He was definitely the guy who knew how to handle a keyboard. He had a nice, big, full-size Casio keyboard with like full-size keys and many octaves worth of them yeah, to play with. Five octave Casio, Casio tone keyboard. Yes, yeah. that's right. But somehow you became the bass player yes. and somehow I became the guitar player. Yeah, I I think what happened, I'm not sure of this, but I think you bought a used guitar Mm -hmm. with like this terrible short scale red guitar with a single volume knob on it. I really remember that just had one knob. I had never (laughs) seen an electric guitar with only one knob before. So that just... No tone. No, no, just volume. It was just... At least it wasn't just a switch. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That could have been worse. (laughs) (laughs) I think you ended up with that and I can clearly remember you getting that electric guitar and that little buzzy Ross amp. Yes. That Which you is st- still in your basement somewhere, I think. Yeah, I think I... But st- it, it died a number of years ago, Yeah, right? it's pretty broken, but it would be cool to bring it back. And for whatever reason, at one point you stuck a sticker on it of yeah. Tony the Tony Tiger. Tony the Tiger, from, yeah. What is that? Frosted from Flakes, Frosted I guess. Flakes. Yeah. 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 So then we started calling it Tony from then on, right? Yeah, the amp's name was Tony. Yeah. <laughs> It had a fairly terrible sound, that amp, and certainly that guitar. 
but you could overdrive. You turn the preamp up a lot. Yeah. And it had kind of a cool, gritty, distorted sound if you did that. Yeah. And then the, this is what we're, I was getting to with the trombone thing. You having fairly good ear for pitch that you didn't learn chords. Not no, even, not I even didn't. power chords. No. You, I, I didn't know where, how, how would I learn these things? I don't know. Well, I can play a note. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's what I did. I would play a note and I would just slide around till I found the next note that I needed to play and then slide around again. <laughs> and I was a melodic note playing guitar guy. <laughs> yeah, it was it, like the trombone of guitars. <laughs> that's what I was doing. Yeah. You're basically just playing on the high E string. Yeah. So your guitar might as well have had one (laughs) string on it. Yeah. And I remember once showing up at your place, maybe to pick you up. And I think I had Mm -hmm. had a girlfriend with me and we were walking up towards your house and you're up in the second story, your your bedroom window. You had Tony pointed out (laughs) the window. At the street. At the street, full volume. And you were up there behind it. And you were, <laughs> and you were playing some ridiculous one note solo thing. <laughs> and then we were like, okay, we're going now. And you're like, no, come up here, come up here. Okay. So we go in the house, go up to your room and you're like, I'm playing my guitar. <laughs> what song do you want to hear? Jingle bells? Okay. <laughs> That's right. What, what do you want me to play? I can play anything you want. Jingle bells? All right. Here we go. We didn't actually say jingle bells. It was just, <laughs> that was your suggestion. <laughs> I can play anything you want. It was, you want to hear jingle bells? Here it is. <laughs> it was the middle of the summer, too. We're going out to this barbecue. <laughs> yeah. We're going to this barbecue. Yeah. At, uh, oh, that was a Mikadon. Uh, was that what that one was? Yeah. We going down to the Mikadon barbecue? Yeah, I cool. feel like we're going there. That was our computer store that we worked at. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that, that was, that was Darren. And I think that's how you ended up with electric guitar. Yeah. And then. I just happened to be the first one to buy one. And then I think we knew that since you had a guitar, mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed to get a guitar too. I had to have a bass. We needed a bass yeah. to fill out that bottom end. Or maybe we didn't even know that, but we talked to Coach at school. You want to tell yeah. them about Coach? Oh, Coach. Coach was our good buddy uh, from grade nine on. Kevin. Do we say last names on this podcast? Kevin. Kevin. We'll call him Kevin. We'll call him Kevin H. No, that's too obvious. And we called him Coach because in grade nine, you know, I don't know that he wasn't sporty or athletic. He certainly knew a lot about sports and he certainly would tell you how to play sports (laughs) and everything that you were doing wrong. And so he earned the nickname Coach. Thanks for the advice, Coach. Coach. I guess was had a bass guitar for whatever reason and he was selling it. Yeah. And he sold it to you. That's right. Yeah. He had this harmony four string bass, very cheap, uh, bass guitar. And the amp wasn't even the bass amp. I didn't know that at the time. It was Mm. just a guitar amp, Yeah, but he sold me the two together, uh, for probably a hundred bucks or 150. He was just getting rid of it. Yep. And I think he was like, you need to buy my bass. And, and I think it was like, oh, maybe I need a bass for my band. Okay. Yep. I'll buy a bass. And so I did. And we had a bass and we had a guitar and we had a keyboard and we were ready to be a band. So we needed songs. Yeah. So we showed, so, so we showed up at Ron's 
bedroom and he's sitting there with, he never did get a, a stand for his keyboard. Yeah, so, I guess not. Eh? So he always had to pull his huge keyboard out and put it on his lap yeah. while he was sitting on his bed. And then we would crowd into the rest of the room with our amps. And that first, I still remember that first band practice. I had never played bass before at all. Mm. None of us knew anything about it. Yep. And we were trying to do that first, you know, yeah, put a song together. We needed songs. So go, go we ahead. We needed songs. So Ron, Ron was really the brains behind the organization. You know, maybe he wasn't actually organizing the whole thing, but he had the skills and he had some songs in his back pocket ready to go. Um, so he kind of said, okay, boys, this is what we're playing today. We're playing... Was it the meaningless love song? Was that the the first that, one that we that was when he had, at? Yeah, he had written. That's right. He had written this instrumental, mm-hmm. and I don't know if he even had named it. I think you and I probably helped name okay. it when we heard yep. it. Yeah, yep. and we called it the meaningless love song. And so Ron had the meaningless love song, and it sounded great on the keyboard. And so we had to find our place <laughs> within it, and. I, I don't remember really struggling too much with it. You know, just find a note and just start wailing on there and slide to the next note. You know, I did the thing that I did and it kind of worked oh, with yeah. the song. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that that's right. So yeah, I, I definitely remember Darren having no problem. Uh, it's sometimes would be nice to be as carefree as you can be. <laughs> and uh, But I, then sometimes it's nice to do your homework and sound good too. So yeah, you specifically, you found that mosquito distortion (laughs) tone that your, only your guitar and amp could produce. And yeah, you were just kind of wailing away on it, uh, with some feedback and so on. So it's this, it's this elegant piano song. Yeah. Nice arpeggios going on. So I'm pretty sure we have a recording of that. So we'll play a clip of it. Ooh. So for me, I'm standing there dumb with my bass. No idea. Okay, what do I do? I say. (laughs) And Ron's like, well, you got to play. Okay, so I think it's probably like in G major or something. So he's like, "Yeah, okay, we'll play G. And I'm like, okay, how do I do that? (laughs) And he's like, well, (laughs) so so do you know any of your notes? I'm like, I think I knew that the low note on the bass was E. So then he's like, okay, E. And then the next fret is F and then the next one F sharp and the next one is G. So he points, like, I think I could, I can yeah. still remember, you know, how many, this is like 30, whatever years ago, him pointing at <laughs> the, the, the fret say, yeah. put your finger there, play that note. Yeah. Okay. And then he, you know, I think it's just really like a four chord song, probably sure. just that kind of classic G, D, C, E minor, e minor a, yeah. you know, one of those kind of, yeah. what is it? The axis it's, of awesome. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yes. Every song is a four chord song. The yeah. ice cream changes or whatever they yeah. people call them. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. And, and one by one, he showed me where my notes are yep. and played them. Eh? And, and so I could, you know, very poorly follow along. You know, he plays throughout, you're doing your solo. I'm trying to play bass just like dome, you know, whole notes kind of thing. And then I'm sure it was Ron who looks at me and goes, we're actually trying to record it. He looks at me and says, bass solo. (laughs) And then 
he cuts everything out and then it's me and I have no idea what I'm doing, right? Yeah. And he's just laughing and laughing at my complete inability. Oh yeah. And I should say I had brought my tape deck along, like just my, my little Sanyo boom box mm -hmm. and was attempting to record these sessions, even though, you know, we were terrible. Yeah. That was what I really wanted to capture those recordings that, that motivated me a lot yeah. with learning yeah. this and playing. And so I knew, I knew we weren't going to get a gig. I knew oh, we yeah. were never, nobody's ever going to want to hear us play live. So I want or to at least not after the first day. Yeah, that's for sure. So the important thing to me was getting these recordings Yeah, and, uh, I still have quite a few of them. Yeah. So we might abuse, we'll, we'll, we'll play some of that for you. We'll, Darren's amazing guitar solo and my bass solo. just maybe run through just a few of the songs and what we called our band. Um, and we can, I think what we can probably do is because this is probably actually getting close to the end of the eighties. We won't go into our, like our university years yeah, in, yeah. in much depth, but um, so we ended up for some reason, we had the meaningless love song and then we were writing our own songs as well. I remember we wrote um, a song called Heads Up, It's Your Chance. Yes. Um, and then and, we wrote... And that was essentially a rap, wasn't it? Of, of, it was, yeah. And now you were bringing a fair bit of kind of rap, hip-hop influence to the band. I guess so, yeah. Which, like, I didn't like at all, but it was what... <laughs> but I didn't have any better ideas, so... So this is what this we... This is what we did. You know, you you write a song, you bring it to the band, the band plays the song. Yeah. You know, that's, that's how it what works. you do. Yeah. That's how it works. And then how did we get the song called Headhunters? Was that, that was a Ron <laughs> song with maybe we all collaborated on the lyrics or something like yes. that? Yeah. Yeah. He had kind of uh, another one of these, okay, his Casio keyboard had those kind of automated rhythm sections so that... You could turn on this terrible drum machine and choose one of, say, 16 different beats and mm -hmm. control the tempo. But it also had another mode that was the drum machine, plus you'd slide the switch another step, and it would also add in this accompaniment. And then your mm -hmm. left hand on the keyboard, instead of just playing regular notes, it was actually triggering different chords Mm -hmm. that would be worked into this automated, terrible rhythm. And so it would, 
I, I keep saying terrible because like it is so corny. Yeah. But but it was this whole kind of rhythm section that was automated, and then your right hand would play the melody. So he yeah. had worked out this song that I guess sounded uh it had like a like a South Pacific <laughs> My shoulders want to move while I dance to it. You know, it's kind of got like a dancey, I don't know, samba, not a reggae thing, uh, bossa nova kind of feel to it. Yeah. And I guess we were thinking, oh, yeah, this sounds like the South Pacific. You know, this could be, could it be pirates? No, not pirates, but oh, but what if you got like marooned on an island and the headhunters were on the island and they were going to come and get you. And so we wrote this song called Headhunters all about based on the song that that Ron had come up with and it was using this rhythm with There's a bit of a theme here where I think I think this particular song was stereotype anyone. Right? Oh sure, for sure. <laughs> it's all those islanders who are going to kill us. <laughs> well, it wasn't all the islanders. This particular <laughs> island here, I'm trying to justify our song. This particular island had headhunters on it. Yeah. And the headhunters were bad. Well, headhunters were a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. Were they? I don't I think know. They were. Yeah. I assume I assume there really were could some be. cannibalistic tribes. I saw something like it on the Muppet Show. Yeah. It must have been it true. Must have yeah. been real. <laughs> and you know, we had this this song called Heads Up. It's your chance. We had Headhunters. We ended up calling the band Heads Up, and we figured, oh, we'll try to make as many songs <laughs> with the word head or heads up in the title. <laughs> what a great idea! <laughs> oh, it's fantastic We're a idea. Themed band. Was, yeah, that's right. The head theme. <laughs> that's yep. that's a great idea. <laughs> so this was more or less like a, a summer project. I don't think that it lasted, maybe it lasted a year, but yeah. I don't even think it quite lasted a year long, but this was kind of like our first band of the eighties. And we got a, a taste of writing stuff, playing together, um, you know, collaborating on the creative process, recording stuff together. We had real instruments even though they weren't the best instruments and even though we didn't really know how to play them you know we were trying stuff out and we were learning stuff with it and yeah as much as i don't want to say heads up was a failure because it really it was the beginning of other fun things and and neat things that we got to do from there so even though head heads up didn't last yeah and even though we never had a gig we never wrote anything good (laughs) 
<laughs> nothing good came of it. No, 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 no. The yeah, no, you you're right. Is that we were having fun at least some yep. of the time, yep. and we were learning. Yeah, lots actually. Yeah, yeah. We're learning. Yeah, our instruments and how to record and how to write, and just the the dynamics of you know the three of us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I think we each had our own reasons for wanting to be involved in it. We all grew as a result, yeah. I think. Yeah. Except Ron, probably. He didn't get anything out of it. No, he probably regressed hanging around yeah. us playing music. <laughs> we dragged us. him down. This guy can't even play Star Wars on the trombone. <laughs> I'm trying to have a band with him? What's going on? <laughs> so I guess the next kind of thing was like, this was like the tail end of the 80s. As the 90s roll around, sorry, we're going to get into a little bit of growing up 90s today. Uh -oh. um, we're moving into university and there are a lot of people playing a lot of music at university. We can get involved in this as well and we yeah. want to keep doing things. And so it was around like first year university, I think you got your first acoustic guitar. Yeah. Or maybe even got it at the end of high school. Yeah. Right around okay. then I, I got an acoustic yeah. guitar. Yeah. Now, and, and here's something like if, um, if you're listening and you don't have a church background or something like this, you may not know this, but at least in the eighties and the nineties, and it seems to be the, sa the same going on today, acoustic guitars and churches go hand in hand and there's a lot of acoustic guitar playing and there's a lot of opportunity to get involved with music in at least certain churches. Yeah. And, and, so, and in summer camp as well, lots of acoustic guitars too. Yeah. And in university and college uh, clubs and stuff like that, yeah. you know, it just seemed like there was lots of opportunity. Lots of people were playing acoustic guitar we can learn from these folks how to play acoustic guitar. So you, I think you got yours first. I got a, a 12 string acoustic, maybe it's better. <laughs> it's got more strings. Yeah, I had a six string. So you had to, yeah, you gotta get the 12. Oh, <laughs> well, I don't know if I was thinking it was better, but it was different. Right. So we, we didn't have I, the same thing. I'm, I'm pretty sure when you showed up with it, <laughs> you're like, Robin, twice as good. Robin. I got 12 strings. <laughs> <laughs> Just like I think that's exact Sesame quote. Street. I think that's yeah, the exact that's quote. So we were hanging around with people who were playing acoustic guitar and we were learning from them and we had access to the internet more or less for the first time. Yep. So we could go on to, you know, there wasn't like the World Wide web yet, but we could, we could go on to like gopher and to Usenet and stuff yep. like that and find guitar tabs so we were learning like chord shapes and we could find just about any song that we wanted to learn how to play. We could download the tabs and they may not be totally accurate, but, you know, close enough that we could sound like we're playing along to songs that people knew. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and we were buying books like uh, back then there were more psalm books that you could just walk yeah. into a store. So I distinctly remember uh, finding... Midnight Oil's Blue Sky Mine, or Blue Sky That's Mining, right. uh, which I think was around 1990. It was our last year of high school. Yeah, 80, 89, yeah. 90. Yep. And uh, I got that song book and it had all the chords and also had, uh, yeah, the, the guitar notes tabbed out for certain yep. solos. 
and, and I, just I picked up worked away at like that. one of the I picked up a Neil Young songbook mm-hmm. that had it's the same thing. It had a list of how to play the chords, all the chords along with all the lyrics and the melody lines. Great, let's play some Neil Young too. Yeah. So yeah, though all those influences, you know, if you, well, I guess it's the same today, of course, but basically, if you have that motivation. And for, for whatever reason, the motivation can come from friends or just yourself wanting mm-hmm. to learn an instrument. Like, what is it that you want to do? Do you want to write songs? Do you want to play? Yeah. Do you want to record? Uh, and I th- yeah. And for us, I think before we did the band thing again, I think it took another year or so for us to do a band again, but we had, we both had. I'm not going to say quite successful solo careers, <laughs> but we did like we were writing and recording our own solo kind of stuff for about a year there before we glommed on to, well, I, before I picked up the drums and then we found <laughs> a really good guitar player, Doug, yeah. Yeah. And, and formed our next band. Yeah. And yeah. And actually yeah, you should tell about the story about you getting your drums. Well, I, I will tell the story about the drums, but I, I think I want to talk just a little bit about the songs that we were writing before that. Okay. Cause now, you know, I sang to you, or I, at least I spoke to you the first song that I ever wrote, Granny, Granny, Granny. <laughs> yes. Um, so it was kind of this between time between heads up and between the, band that was eventually called Sunfish and then I was going to call it Stoned and Left for Dead, Sunfish <laughs> and North in the Sea, um, I wrote this song called Bears in the Woods. And this was like totally like if Richard Pepper wasn't doing the stuff that Richard was doing, you know, he was writing, um, he legitimized for me writing fun songs. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be serious rock and roll, angsty whatever kind of stuff I was writing a song that you could potentially sing to like a bunch of campers at a summer camp. Yeah. But on the sly, it's, it's not really this happy camper song. It's this song. The song was called bears in the woods. (laughs) It seemed to be this really ominous, scary song about these bears that are attacking in the, and in the end it ends up being all just this big misunderstanding and the the bears (laughs) want to have fun with you and have a party with pop and chips and all this stuff. One of our friends had a four track recorder and I got to borrow it over the weekend or something. And I, and it was great because I could sing, I could play the guitar and I could play another guitar track with maybe like a little bit of distortion somehow getting in on it. And, oh, this is great making this really neat kind of sounding things. Yeah. And so that was a lot of fun. It was neat to be able to explore songwriting again, even if it was a little bit goofy on my part and, and recording myself playing multiple instruments. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I remember you were doing the same thing. You had, a couple songs that you were recording. Yours were a little bit more serious and stuff. Yeah. I don't know if you want to. Well, yeah. What what was really neat is the collaboration that happened because I, I got really, you borrowed the four track there. What was Brian's, but I guess it mostly being living at my place. You borrowed it for a long weekend or whatever. And you came back with this four, uh, four song EP, so to speak about, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. The bears in the woods, the cross-eyed stare that was like about alien abductions or alien possessions. (laughs) That's right. Beware, beware of the cross-eyed stare as your mind 
Pirate Pierre, about a pirate, yep. yes. and Le San. That was the serious one. That was the very serious <laughs> one, yeah. And all those songs were a lot of fun. Uh, I remember this is one of the first times I remember us collaborating. Uh, well, of course, Heads Up, we did a bit, but by the time you'd record Bears in the Woods, I think we knew more about yeah. recording and so on. So I remember being set up at my, I was still living at my dad's place and we were in the, uh, set up kind of in the dining room there mm-hmm. as a little recording area. And we did a new, yes. and we did another version of bears in the woods. Yeah. And that's when I think we brought, it's, it's neat how I don't want, I'm going to try to take credit myself, but it's kind of like this back and forth thing yeah. where I think you started playing the electric guitar a little. And then I was like, we should put this really distorted yeah, part on the chorus. That's right. And so it turned into this, you know, we got the biggest, craziest noise we could out of your little amp, uh, with these big power chords during the chorus. And that kind of became a thing. And later on, when we had a band with Richard Pepper, we started mm-hmm. doing Bears in the Woods live yep. at various camp functions and so on. And it became like a cult classic. We're kind of. It was It was like the church basement <laughs> underground. <laughs> yeah. And, and so Darren, we, Darren would get up there to sing Bears in the Woods. He'd be on the acoustic guitar. Richard would be on the electric guitar. Just and, sitting off in the background, not for, really playing anything. Yeah. And for the whole verse and pre-chorus, he would just be sitting around slouching. <laughs> and then when the chorus finally came, he'd jump up and crank out these super loud power chords. Yeah, that's right. And they go sit down again. And then later, because he had been sitting there so long, my sister would be at some of these things. She would have snacks on a plate. <laughs> she was also the snack girl. The snack girl. She would wander around to walk up to Richard while he was sitting there waiting for his turn to play his part. <laughs> and he would grab food and be eating that's it. Right. Like sitting on this chair where everybody could see him and he's like stuffing his face with chips or whatever <laughs> while you're singing the, the, you know, while we're getting to the chorus again. So it became, yeah. it became kind of almost theatrical yeah, for over sure. time. And, and it's one of those incremental things. So that's where it's fun.
And do you recall yeah. um, recording the song Quarters, Quarters yes. on the Sidewalk? Yeah. To me, that was the first time that I thought, oh, this is good. This is, we're sounding like, what this recording is like a real CD or a real cassette. <laughs> yes. This sounds just like what I hear on the radio. <laughs> yes. I was so excited. We were, we, Robin was recording me playing this other little song that I wrote and it was like grunge had kind of hit and we had like distorted guitar. And I think, and you, I think you were playing bass on it and stuff like that. And it just kind of all came together and we had this tape and I think we recorded it in your dining room at your dad's place too. So, you know, it's like, that was actually, yeah, the same sessions as the bears in the woods. Yeah. Uh, where we record that noisier version of it. And it was the same kind of collaboration where you had that song have you ever looked for quarters on the sidewalk where you go, you know, you <laughs> that's had, right. And you had this, uh, very hokey, Bouncy. I mean, you, you wrote, you wrote the lyrics, you had the chords, you had an outline of the melody, but yeah. it was pretty hokey. It was. Yeah. It needed, it needed some grunging up. Yeah. So then that's right. I actually played guitar and bass on that. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, we very deliberately turned it into this noisy, grungy, rocker and, and i remember taking yeah. the cassette out to your car the 78 monarch or whatever it was 76 monarch My 76 mercury monarch and we put it in the tape deck and there's just something about okay yeah you've you've got the the tape on the four track and you listen to it through headphones or you play it on the boom box and it's like okay this sounds good but you take it out to the car yeah and you put it in the car and you turn on the car and the car is rumbling and the car is yeah. shaking and you turn on the cassette player. And it's not the best. It's not as good as what you're listening to on headphones, but it's coming through the same speakers as the songs that you're listening to on the radio is coming yeah. And it just became this. We're making real honest to goodness, <laughs> rock and roll music. We can do this. we need to keep doing this. We need to get a band together. And I think it was like around that time that we were saying, okay, this is something we get a real guitar player in here. You're cause you know, I just do like, you're right. I I do the hokey little things, (laughs) get a real guitar player in here. Robin's on bass. And this is probably at the point where we said, okay, what we really need to make this a three piece is drums. So I will now become the drummer. I'll become the Phil Collins yeah. I will sing and I will drum. Yeah. So at this point. Exactly uh, like Phil Collins. Exactly like <laughs> Phil Collins. Just like Phil Collins did. I went out and I <laughs> went to Enzo's Music World Academy and I bought a snare on a stand and it had a little <laughs> brass <laughs> cymbal attached to it. Yeah. It was like this four inch cymbal. <laughs> oh, it had to be at least five. <laughs> You know, but it was okay. This is good. I can, and I, and I figured, okay, well, I can't play with drumsticks because that would be way too loud. So I got some brushes. Yeah. But that, and that's what we started with. I started there. I had brushes on a snare drum. I had a little 
teeny weeny ride splash kind of symbol thing. And I think at some point I had a suitcase with an old kick pedal attached to it so I could thump things. At one point I had a tambourine around my foot so I could just kind of keep like yeah. uh, the four on the floor That's right. going yeah, like that. Yeah, you play the tambourine with yep. your foot. Yeah, And yep. that, that was kind of like the first the bare minimum stand-up drum kit that we started the band with. You were kind of straddling both lines. It's like I totally want to do the grunge thing. With yep. this big band, I, I wanted you to have like Dave Grohl, you know, <laughs> drums, sure. and and you got this little cocktail kit where you're standing up <laughs> playing with brushes, like you want to play some jazz, anybody? Yeah, just play like, like you're a jazz <laughs> guy. Yeah, okay. So that that reminds me. Yeah, definitely. You and I, when we first heard "Quarters on the Sidewalk" yeah, in the Mercury Monarch, yeah, I had I I remember uh, I love that stereo. All it had was two big like these uh, not big. All it had was these two six by nine speakers, but they're actually pretty expensive. Yeah. But just in the back, I didn't have any front speakers in that car at all. Yeah. I just had the two big back ones. But you and I were both hearing something we had never heard before from us. Yeah. So I remember after we were so excited about that tape, we drove over to go see Ron. Mm-hmm. I said, Ron, get in the car. you got to listen to this. <laughs> And we were just still blown away by our brilliance. <laughs> yeah. And he just sat there listening. He's like, well, it's okay, I guess. <laughs> it's no Star Wars on the trombone. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And then I remember wanting to buy a bass. Yeah. This is, this might be getting a bit further into the nineties, but I needed a proper bass amp. And back then there was so much music gear you could buy on classifieds. Oh yeah. Maybe there still is, but it just seemed like it was everywhere back then. Yeah. yeah. And so this, I remember the student, I think he only wanted, I think it was 500 bucks, but it was for his bass and this amp. But when I got there, the amp is this 400 watt monster that I still have, this cube that mm-hmm. like, you know, I just sit on cause it's so big. Yeah. So I bought those together for 500 bucks and I'm still playing through that mm-hmm. today, like 20, well, 30, almost 30, 25 oh, years yeah, later. Oh yeah, for sure. More than uh, that. Yeah. That, that amp even back then was worth like, I don't know, 1200 bucks or something like that. And I got for like 350 cause then I sold, he had this black base that was okay. Do you remember it had dice on yeah, the volume? That one. Yeah, somebody you, had, sold, you sold that to Rennie, didn't you? Yeah, I sold that to Rennie for 150 bucks. So I only paid 350 for the amp. And that amp has been so good. Uh, you yeah. Know, yeah, I love that. Yeah, amp. and it was it was through the classifieds too that we bought oh, yeah. the first real drum kit for the band as well. Like so by this time we have incorporated Doug into the band, and you know, it was it was it was all great for us because he was a great guitar player and he brought skills that we didn't have. So, but eventually it was like, okay, we need more than just the cocktail kit that Darren's playing, <laughs> more than just the jazz brushes. Let's get a real drum kit. We found this drum that looked like it was a real steal of a deal, this drum kit in the classifieds. <laughs> and so we we jumped in the Monarch and we drove down to this sketchy neighborhood by Victoriaville, <laughs> knocked on the door. This guy brought us ba- into the house. Basement apartment. Basement apartment. That's right. And we walked down and he had a lot of musical instrumenty type stuff down there, I think. And he showed us the drum kit. It's like, yeah, it's, he's 
all the drums are here. I, I'd never played a kit before. Yeah. But it's got the big ones and the smaller ones that go on top of the big one. And it's got the and other the, one that goes over here. And all the hardware. All the silver bits that yeah. attach to it. There was a ton of symbols that came with it. Yeah. And it was like, okay. And I don't think we paid $300 yeah, for it Yeah, it was all. something like 300 tops or something. Yeah. And so it's like, yes, we would like to buy all of this stuff from you. <laughs> and so gave him the money and we're hauling out. So it's like, why are you selling it? Like, well, what his, are you going to do without your drum kit? Yeah. Well, do you remember all his, he had a whole bunch of buddies show up and they're all hanging out down there as yeah. we're carrying the drum kit out. Yeah, and, and it okay. was actually one of them who asked him. And the way I remember it is that one of his buddies goes, what, what's with the drums? Are you selling them? And the guy goes, yeah, but you need drums for next weekend. Right. We got, we got that, <laughs> yeah. we got that gig. Yeah. And then do you remember what the guy says? What are, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do? He says, it's okay. I can get another set. <laughs> yeah. Or says, I know where to get another yeah, set or was, something like that. Yeah. He's like, why are you selling them? Oh, I need the money for the weekend, but you got a gig the next week. Yeah. It's okay. I know where to get another one. <laughs> And, and the question was always like, you know where to go steal another drum yes. set? Is, yeah. is that kind of what you're saying is under, that under the song? Yeah. And that might have been what was being said. But hey, we got our drum kit and it was no turning back. Yeah. Yeah. It was done. We had everything that we needed and we became <laughs> a rock and roll band. And everything was perfect thereafter. That's about as far as I was thinking that we would yeah, take that's, things tonight. I think that's enough. I think that's yeah. enough of that. But yeah, so obviously very self-indulgent, but I think any of you who had interest in music probably have your own stories that relate mm -hmm. to this. It could be, you know, those earliest music lessons that you didn't like or the ideas of forming a band. What motivated you? Was it... Was it recording? Was it playing for an audience? What was mm -hmm. it? And and then, yeah, all the, the crazy stories as you're learning your instruments and, and trying to figure out br bringing those different people together in a band and the different oh, yeah. motivations. Probably everybody who's being in a band has tons of stories. Oh, yeah, for sure. And if you'd like to share any of them with us, we're always interested in hearing them. I think by now, well, I was going to say, I think by now most of you know how to get into in touch with us, but maybe there's some new people listening. So you can find us on the Twitters. I'm at Darren Folds. Robin is 8-Bit Show and Tell. We have a Patreon. You can find us at Patreon if you look for Grown Up 80s and you can leave a comment there. We even have a Grown Up 80s Twitter account that we look at, but we don't often post from. That's G Up 80s. Yeah, you'll find us. We'd love to hear your stories of forming a band, doing music, maybe actually going to school and learning how to do things properly. That would be interesting to hear about. <laughs> yeah. And also on the Patreon, we do periodically do a mailbag episode where we read everybody's messages to us. So if you want to be heard and we will, we'll read the message and respond. So if you have anything to say about your band and you want to hear it in a podcast, Definitely contact us about that. For sure. So we just want to thank our patrons before we sign off. Big thanks to Mac, R2, 
Apogee79, Michael Dornbus, and our buddy MV. Super big thanks to our, um, what we call our 8-bit backers, Jake McKinley, Rob O'Hara, and Ian Colhoun. Thank you, everybody. And a big welcome to our new patron, Nathan Dagenhart. Thank you, Nathan. For Robin Harbin, I'm Darren Folds. Good night. Good night. Good night.